Remember that wisdom is not what we know. It's not how smart we are, but it's how we respond. How do you respond when somebody cuts you off with a car? I have to ask myself that question of road rage. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV from Genesis to Revelation, reading through the Bible. Today we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. Very interesting, good questions to ask here. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? Well, over the last few days, I've been taking a look at different industries uh, mentioned in the Bible experienced by ancient Israel. And today we're looking at many things, ships, sailing, and seafaring. Ryan? Yes. Well, Ecclesiastes 10 mentions that a serpent may bite when not charmed. Now, interestingly, there is a festival in India called the Festival of Serpents. And the, dev the devotees claim that on that day, cobras won't bite. Now, also interesting is that this festival might be a throwback to Moses' bronze serpent. So lots to cover today. That's right. Janice? It's our fun Friday wrap-up. That means I get to ask a question. Hope you're ready. Ecclesiastes 8, verses 1 through 8. Who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, What are you doing? He who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment, because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly." for he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur? No one has power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. That's what we read today as we go through the Bible. It is really something. We're going to focus on chapter 8, 1 through 8. And there are many things in our lives we cannot control. We spend much of our life trying to take control by doing what we desire. But Ecclesiastes 8 tells us that the truth about things that we cannot control that is, wisdom is often understood by our reactions to life. And that is why it's always best to come to the Lord and give him control over our lives because of the truth. And the truth is that we have very little control over them. The Bible tells us that happiness or joy is not an emotion, but it's a state of existence. As I navigate my life and seek to follow God with my life, he makes me happy, not because I delighted in everything that happens to me, but because I trust 
in the Lord. And I know that he has victory over anything in my life. He makes me stronger than what this life throws at me. Thank you, Lord. And that's very important. What about you? Does God have control over your life, all of it? That's a really good question as we focus today on this particular passage. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's reading because it's important. The Bible is the most important book of all. And as we understand the Bible, we learn from it. It's, it's as if God flows information to us and his Holy Spirit, the words of his Holy Spirit, are activated in our life. And we need to pray and ask the Lord to help us. If you don't have a Bible guide, write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. Thank you for your donations. And uh, by the way, um, you can also go to Bible Discovery TV and, and click on donations. And then when, you, when you're done there, click on the page that says download the Bible guide. It takes you as we created it. So you can download it on a PDF file and you can be with us in seconds. So that's great. Now, I think we should pray because we need to really understand, especially when the world's going crazy, we need to understand what God is doing. Father, I pray today, I pray that we would understand. Help us, Lord. Teach us your ways and show us your paths. There are so many things happening. And it's fearful. Sometimes we're afraid. And many times you said in your New Testament, in the New Testament of the Word, you said to the disciples, be not afraid. But Lord, that's, it's easy words to listen to, but hard words to do. So help us, Father, today in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Let's look at the scripture and listen to what the Lord has said to us. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, one verse, verse 1. It says, who is like a wise man? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the sternness of his face is changed. Now, th th I got to tell you, this is amazing. Wisdom is not what we know, but how we respond to life. It's not what we know, but it's how we respond to life. God helps us to deal with life and the unexpected when we involve. Yeah, let me tell you something. When you go through life, you, you hit things, physical things. You hit other things from people. And these things are difficult. And when you hit those things, you have a choice. Either you can operate yourself and navigate through it, or you can invite the Lord to help you and say, Father, today, help me. And Father, I pray today, help me. And the Lord helps you. He comes into your life. He surrounds you and he helps you. That's what we're talking about. It's giving control of your future to the understanding of knowing God. Very important. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. This is what it says. It says, I say, <laughs> this is important, keep the king's commandments for the sake of your oath to God. Now, I need you to listen to that. Keep the king's commandment for the sake of your oath to God. Do not be hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand for an evil thing. Very important. Did you hear that? 
Do not take your stand for an evil thing, for he does whatever pleases him. You know, we need to understand that we must be at rest with those in authority over us. And that has become somewhat challenging lately. Rebellion is never encouraged in the Bible. I know there's going to be a number of people who take great offense to what I've just said. But I need to tell you, I didn't say it. That's the word of God. He says that our lives are either dedicated to serving God or dedicated to rebellion. Now, there are governments that do not do right things and they torture the persecuted. There's more persecuted today than there ever has been in history. And persecuted churches struggling terribly. But then there are people who dedicate themselves to demonstrating everything. And they misuse their liberty. We need to pay attention to that, Christians. We need to listen to what the Lord tells us. Not how we want to respond. But listen to what the Lord speaks to your heart. That becomes very important, especially today. Especially right now, living in the world we live in. All right. Ecclesiastes 8, 4 to 8. Here's what it says. It says, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Who keeps his commands, he who keeps his command will experience nothing harmful. And a wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. A wise man's heart discerns both time and judgment. For every matter, there is a time and a judgment. Though the mystery of man increases greatly, the misery of man increases greatly, for he does not know what will happen. So who can tell him when it will occur? No one has the power over the spirit to retain the spirit, and no one has the power in the day of death. There is no release from that war, and wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. This is really amazing wisdom. You see, there is a time for judgment. And that time is not right now. We often misunderstand and make wrong decisions because of our bad timing. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily wrong in understanding that judgment will come. Let me tell you something. Judgment's coming to the persecuted governments. I want to tell you, as you resist Jesus Christ, you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for all that resistance. Judgment's going to come. But this is the time of grace. We live in a time when Jesus Christ opens his heart to people to take them in. This is the time where we come to know the Lord. This is the time where we come to Jesus Christ, the time where we identify ourselves as followers of the Lord. And as we do that, there will come a time, Revelation 19, there will come a time when God will judge I just did a sermon on that and it'll be available soon. But that judgment is very, very important. So let's keep our times right and understand that we are not created to resist things, but we need to follow Jesus Christ. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right, on your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there.
All right, there is a lot to be said when it comes to ancient sailing, shipbuilding, seafaring,、uh, fishing, and even the ancient bitumen trade、uh, based around the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea Basin. So. Let's just jump right in. Take a look at ancient seafaring,、uh, specifically as experienced by Israel in the biblical era. While not a major seafaring nation, the land of Israel did have reasons and opportunities to develop seafaring technology. There were select pockets or areas where this was necessary, along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, the areas surrounding the Sea of Galilee, and on the shores of the Dead Sea. When breaking down the human motivation for seafaring, two reasons become obvious. First. In harvesting various and valuable resources like fish from the Mediterranean and the Sea of Galilee, and bitumen from the Dead Sea. Second, in being able to travel across the water in order to trade these goods more efficiently and enhance commerce overall. Biblically, we see King Solomon develop a fleet of trade ships in partnership with the seafaring city-states of Tyre and Sidon. Through archaeological work, it's known that these areas in Israel were being used for resources and travel long before Israel was even a nation. Shells from the Mediterranean and Red Seas and Dead Sea bitumen have been found at sites throughout Israel, Jordan, and Egypt, dating from the Neolithic era and onward. This shows that from very early on, there were not only sea products available, but there was a widespread demand for them. This demand would have fueled seafaring technology. Better, faster, more secure ways would be sought to collect more efficiently, and ways to safely transport and effectively trade these goods would become a priority. There's an interesting study that's been done on the Dead Sea area specifically that demonstrates the natural but quick growth of seafaring technology. The Dead Sea's most valuable resource is by far its bitumen deposits that float to the surface of the water. The sea's difficult shoreline and the sheer size and value of the bitumen lumps that would surface made collecting them by raft and boat a much more attractive idea than waiting for the wind to carry the deposits to shore. This would have served as motivation for the development of rafts and boats. The next challenge faced by harvesters of Dead Sea bitumen would have been transporting their goods once collected and processed. There is a lot of unhospitable desert and land surrounding the Dead Sea that would have to be covered if the trips were attempted on land. Crossing the sea, however, was shorter by up to three times, and overall, just an easier, more direct distance. This Dead Sea travel is documented from the Hellenistic time period onwards, but was likely initiated much earlier than this. How early is not known, but the demand for Dead Sea bitumen was widespread, as seen from remains at Neolithic sites. And in the early 2000s, the discovery of a 7th century BC anchor pushed the evidence date for seafaring into the time of the kings of Israel. While this study on the Dead Sea doesn't give us a conclusive date for how early residents utilized seafaring, it does show the whys behind the process. Value, demand, industry, and convenience all drove people to become creative with the world around them and monopolize on good opportunities. Much to consider, a lot to cover when it comes to this ancient technology, and like other industries, it's you know a very ancient industry because from very early on, humans saw the need for it. They saw the value of being able to travel very quickly downriver, across seas, across lakes,、uh, and you know that. 
quick travel, trade, and and fishing. Uh, when there's a need, a technology always will be developed to fill that need. And we see that in the ancient world and we see that today as well. Because the technology, we believe, should make it easier for us to live. Well, that's the idea. <laughs> the idea is, well, okay, so I mean, if you're an ancient person and, and, and you need to get across the body of water, but you know you can't swim across the body of water, you're going to figure out how to make yourself something to get you across that body of water. <laughs> and then as time goes on, it's going to get better and better and better. Until the technology becomes so important or so complicated that then it takes five or six things because when you try to do one thing, there's five or six problems. You got to fix those five or six problems. I'm talking about computers. You, yeah, <laughs> you have you have some trouble with computers, <laughs> don't you? Do. Well, I mean, I, he does. I, it's, and I'm just <laughs> running and I'm just running and then I got a blue screen. Yeah. And it says, we're, you know, we're, we're doing something. And they always blame it on me, but I'm, I'm not going to cry. But it's not me. I didn't do it. Anyway. Well, I mean, that's a story for another day. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Need By a whole way, Corey, other half uh, hour. Just quickly, <laughs> sure. you did a recap for the weekend. Yes. So every Saturday, my husband and I release a video on my YouTube channel that's just my name, Corey Babechko. And we do a chapter by chapter recap of all of our assigned reading from Bible Discovery and the Bible Discovery Guide. So the idea is just to get you caught back up if you've fallen behind uh, and, and cover all that material for you. And we play those recaps, uh, of course, on the stream TV, well, on the Bible Discovery TV, which is live video. So that's very, very good. One other thing I want to mention is your husband is a brilliant writer and he's excellent. He wrote here, did Satan really say that part two? And uh, this is part of the writing. There's a lot of writing on our website and a lot of pieces. You guys' pieces are up there. Our programs are up there and it's really, really something. So if you ever have questions about the Bible, go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Very, very interesting. Ryan? All right, well, my segment today is inspired from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 11, which says that a serpent may bite when it is not charmed. Now, that statement kind of reminded me of a particular festival that's held in India called the Festival of Serpents. And on that day, so claim the devotees, cobras won't bite. Now, while I definitely don't agree with the activities of this festival, since it involves cobra worship, I do find it pretty reminiscent of what the Israelites ended up doing with the bronze snake that Moses had made. Now, if you recall, in Numbers 21, God had Moses create a bronze serpent so that the Israelites could look upon it and be made well. But later, they began to worship the image rather than worship God. So what I'm wondering is if, this, is if this whole festival of serpents is actually a throwback to this biblical event recorded in Numbers 21. And what's also interesting is that this bronze snake may have also influenced other mythologies as well. Check it out. For the wilderness wandering Israelites, it had already been a long and arduous journey. But now they would have to travel from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea in order to go around Edom. The desert dwellers had had enough, and they complained against God and against Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. In response, the Lord sends fiery serpents among the people, and they bite them, and many of the Israelites die. These fiery serpents were venomous snakes with burning lethal bites, which quickly brought the Israelites unto repentance. And God, in his mercy, told Moses to mold a bronze likeness of a snake and place it on a pole so that anyone who looked on it would live. Curiously, this very real historical event recorded in the Bible may have actually influenced later mythologies. 
For example, the ancient Greco-Roman god of medicine is portrayed with a serpent-entwined rod, and the Greco-Roman god of commerce is portrayed with a double serpent-entwined rod. Interestingly, both of these serpent motifs are commonly used today to symbolize the practice and profession of medicine, though use of the double serpent symbol, called the caduceus, is considered by many to be very inappropriate because of its association with the god of commerce, who is also known as the patron of lies, gamblers, and thieves, not to mention a conductor of souls into the afterlife. As Stuart L. Tyson quipped, as conductor of the dead to their subterranean abode, his emblem would seem more appropriate on a hearse than on a physician's car. Nevertheless, these emblems, or at least the single serpent emblem, seems to originate with Moses' bronze serpent. Another possible throwback to this biblical event is the Festival of Serpents. Each year around the beginning of August, the Festival of Serpents takes place in many regions of India. On that day, so say the devotees, cobras will not bite. Live cobras or their images are worshipped and handled. Snake worshippers also ritually feed sacred cobras reared in special shrines, and even leave out milk as an offering to wild cobras. Of course, the true significance of the Israelites' bronze snake is that the enemy threat had been nullified. Ancient custom dictated that when a bitter enemy was killed, his head was severed from his body and put on a pole to show his utter defeat. Thus the snake was lifted, signifying the enemy was rendered powerless. Jesus likens this incident to his own crucifixion. Satan thought his enemy was forever defeated, but then came the resurrection. Now, there is one other thing that I didn't mention, and I can't prove it, but as I was doing research for this segment, I heard that the person who created the caduceus, which is the double serpent medical logo, actually started with the single serpent entwined rod, but added a second serpent in order to bring symmetry to the image. But when he did that, he inadvertently changed the logo from the god of medicine to the god of commerce. So if that's true, then that's pretty funny. But what I can say for sure is that it's very fitting that the image of a snake was erected on a pole since that enemy of the Israelites had been rendered powerless by God. Similarly, Jesus would be erected on a cross many years later, and Satan may have thought that he had him defeated. But of course, Jesus Christ conquered death and rose from the grave on the third day. And just as the ancient Israelites looked to the bronze snake and lived, we also can look to Jesus Christ and live. Because he arose, we will too. So make sure to look to Jesus. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. You know, Jesus is Lord. That, that is absolutely fascinating. And a lot of people, I mean, the, the conspiracy theories are crazy on this, but a lot of people go into things. But it's important to remember that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's not a conspiracy alive. There's nothing to happen that Jesus Christ doesn't already know about. Mm -hmm. And we need to keep that in mind. Come to Jesus Christ. He's as close as the mention of his name. Very important. Well, today is the question. It is. And off the top, I didn't get a chance because we ran out of time to give you a heads up of where this question is going to come from. So this is super fast cramming. Um, anywhere from Proverbs chapter 18 all the way through to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And I have to say that I've been getting reports from a lot of people that follow and play along with this Friday wrap-up question that apparently a lot of them you've been finding really difficult. And so I apologize in one way for that, but it's also really good to be challenged. Greg, thanks you. Oh, all right. <laughs> He's one of the guys that contacts me and says, I always get the question right. But there got you the go. Last well, one wrong. But anyway, go well, that's okay, because as I often say, it's all right when you get a question wrong, 
we all learn the answer. That's how we that's how we learn. We're not going to get everything right all the time. But let's see today. And honestly, in this section from Proverbs to Ecclesiastes, there's a lot, guys, mm-hmm. of sayings. There's yeah. a lot of things. And then I have to take into consideration some of the different translations because mm. one word in you know one translation may be different than a same meaning, yeah, but different, yeah, you know. So. It, it's not easy to get a question, and it's not easy to answer the question. So I'm going to say that off the top, and here it goes. Okay. Now. You should see the reaction over here. The reaction <laughs> something else. I'm not saying a word, but their reaction's hilarious. Anyway. All right. So very quickly, I am going to tell you that this comes from Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20 says, Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward... His mouth will be filled with, what's his mouth going to be filled with? The wind, fire, or gravel? Proverbs 20 says, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with the wind, with fire, or with gravel. Which one do you think? I think, think they, they, I think we've they been conferring yeah. and we think we've got it. It's electrifying. The air here is just <laughs> electrifying. So, yeah. All right. Well, you have come to an answer. Yeah, we have. Because we've of the first part of, right? the, of the question, yes. mm-hmm. we, we believe that um, number three is the right answer. Yes. Number three gravel. being yeah. gravel. Yeah. What about you at home? Did you just guess the answer or were you able to grab your Bible? Because if you did take your Bible, Proverbs 20 verse 17 says this, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. There you go. Got it right. You guys got it right. So, you know, all those who play along, I hope that you got it right today. And if you didn't, that's okay, because now you know for the next time. We used to let them answer, and they would write in the answers. Really interesting. Today, I want to remind you that from 3.30 to 4.30, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have a live prayer meeting on Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Bible Discovery TV. Join us and uh, we'll pray for you live if we can get to you and all of that. Please join us. It's very, very important. Right now, let's pray and, and let's pray this way and say, Lord, help us today to listen, listen, really listen to the power of your Holy Spirit. 